Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, you made it through the wind, right? Into the, through the rain. Uh, welcome to Western Washington. It actually rains here. And now that we've had it, I'm ready for it to go. It's okay, right? So, um, but uh, yeah, what a, what a week and change of weather. The fall is here. And, um, and here we are now just to worship God in the service. Thank you. Thank you so much for populating, right? right now, the smaller of our two services. Uh, if you're online listening, we just want to apologize for the number of glitches that there have been recently, and I, our team is working on all that. We're not understanding all of it completely yet, but uh, we'll get to the bottom of it so that um, that can be a pleasant experience for those of you that are attempting to watch online. Does anybody here need help? Right? It's okay to ask for help, right? You ever been in that place where you, where you had to ask for help and, um, and you did? Remember how like it kind of hurt your, your pride to ask for help? But I would guarantee you that everybody on the planet needs help. And there are levels at which we all desperately need uh, the help of God uh, within our lives. And when we look around, we know that, that there's brokenness all around us. When we look inside, we know that there's brokenness. We need the help that, that, that God can give to each one of us. So, so to ask for help is, is really important. I, I was reminded of a motorcycle trip that my brother and I were taking. Uh, I, I met him in uh, Indianapolis, and we rode over to... Um, you know, the Blue Ridge Parkway in uh, Virginia and so forth, down in, into North Carolina. And then uh, we took off from Asheville, uh, North Carolina, and went over to Chattanooga, Tennessee. And we were riding Chattanooga, Tennessee on the freeway. We realized that um, we kind of don't know exactly where we are. So he's leading, and he's supposed to know the way, right? And so he's leading, and uh, he pulls off the freeway and uh, pulls into a parking lot. Uh, it was a church parking lot. Didn't pay attention to what the church was, but church parking lot. And, and there he is uh, looking on his phone, you know, asking Siri, you know, about directions and different things. And right behind him was the sign of the church, the name of the church. And it was a Catholic church, and the name of the church was Our Lady of Perpetual Help. Are you, does that, is that not funny? I mean, you know, name, you know, after the Mother Mary and all, Our Lady of Perpetual Help. And I go, oh, we have a new name for Siri now, right? Siri is Our Lady of Perpetual Help. Like, we need, we need help, right? But we're all like that. We, we get lost. We stumble around. We get in ruts. We get stuck. Things that have happened to us in the past get stuck in our hearts, in our memories. And, and while, we, while we move on, our emotions a lot of times don't move on. So when things happen that, that, that were, are like that, it stirs up a response like that suddenly. And and we wonder, well, what is going on, right? Why am I still bothered by these things? So in this study that we're doing in these weeks on emotionally healthy spirituality, 
we're understanding that, that it's important to bring together the matter of emotional health as it relates to spiritual maturity because it is, it is fake news to believe that you can be spiritually mature and yet be emotionally immature. So the growth of one requires the growth in the other. Like they're together. And a lot of times that hasn't been taught in the church. You know, that's why you could find people who, oh, they're like the most spiritual people in the world, right? Uh, acting most unlovingly in situations where you just go, what? Why is that going on? Right? And so we, we need help. We need help. Could, could you, could you, Ask God for help today. In, in your own life, in your own journey, could you join with me in saying, God, would you just really help me? So make your own prayer right now, all right? Make your own prayer. I'm going to pray over us, but while I do that, why don't you just say to God, I need your help, right? And sometimes that, that's like some of the best first step breakthrough in receiving the help that God so generously wants to give to us. So I'm going to pray. So you just, from your own heart, God knows your life. He knows what's going on, and he knows how to speak to you. He's not, he's not fooled by anything. He knows what is real. So just ask him for help. And while I pray over us, you just ask for help, okay? So Father, thank you. You're here. You care about each one of us. We're, we're your kids. We're your children. We're, we need you. You created us. You know us. You've, 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 you know, you've made us in ways that only you know. You know what's happened in our lives. And you, you've redeemed us or you're seeking to redeem us. And you're trying to call us out of darkness and the light and out of death and the life. You want to really do something well within us, Lord. Something healing. So we ask for your help. We ask for your help. Thank you, God, for being generous in your help and loving us as we are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So this iceberg, right? There's this iceberg that we have on the graphic, and it's, um, it, it symbolizes that there's a lot below the surface. So most of what happens is that above the surface, like the 10% or whatever of the iceberg, above the surface, those are the places, you know, that perhaps we've let God influence our lives and, and all, but also that's the place where we tend to live. We, or we tend to say, present, Right? We, we, we learn how to present a good front. In certain, we learn how to be in certain situations around certain people and to be a certain way in order to navigate this life. And, and so we just kind of, uh, unfortunately, in, in this world in which we live where there's so much peer pressure and all kinds of expectancy or expectations from people, we, we learn how to, you know, pretend and, you know, pose and, you know, put forth what we need to as far as our our image in, in front of people. But man, there's a whole lot underneath going on in our lives, right? 
There's a lot going on. Every one of us here. There's, there's a lot happening. And there's a lot happening below the surface that has not yet been addressed by the love of God. In fact, it's kind of been, it's kind of been covered over or hidden. And then at times it'll come up and it'll sabotage what's above, you know, and really mess things over. Uh, I don't know how it is in your profession, what you do uh, for a living, but, but for me as a pastor, there'll be times that I'm with other pastors of other churches and stuff. This has especially happened a lot for many years when I was a younger pastor. And I, I, would, uh, I would be meeting with all these, uh, these people and sharing experiences and going through training or whatever it was. And I kind of found that inside, I was like feeling really crummy about myself. I would feel like a failure. I I'd, I'd definitely, I'd feel not good enough. I would just be struggling. I would feel like my performance wasn't up to par, all kinds of stuff. And so while nobody saw that on the, on the upside, you know, while I was able to present what was really going on underneath, was a different story. And then I would live with that for, for sometimes days, just trying to dig my way out of that crud that was going on inside of me. And that was like the 90% below the surface that I was not yet allowing Jesus to really address in my life. And it just kept defeating me. Right? You got stuff like that? Yeah. You have stuff underneath? You know, that just kind of keeps, you know, gut punching you. When on the surface, you know, you've kind of learned, I mean, you live long enough. You don't have to live very long to be trained on how to, you know, put on a good face. But, but underneath, there's a lot of stuff going on. And we learn to hide it, cover it, avoid it. We learn to um, blame all kinds of stuff. But it just keeps us from really letting God touch those things below. It is for this reason that we're inviting you as, as participants in this congregation to, to do a deep dive with us into what's below the surface. All right? Time to do it. Time to do some good, good work filled with the grace of God at this point. Deeply changed people have a powerful and sustainable impact upon this world. Deeply changed people change the world. And I might say this, deeply changed people groups change the world. For instance, like it's not just about the change in me, it's the change in us. So this, this people group called a family when they're letting Christ do deep work within them, then that family becomes impactful to those around them. When the whole church, like, like a people like us, you know, sometimes we meet here at this corner of 7th and 11th. We're called PNC, Puyallup Nazarene Church. We meet here, but when we let, like any other worshiping community, when we let Jesus address the below surface stuff and really transform our lives, we become a kind of people that raises the curiosity of others so they want to know about Jesus, not run away from Jesus. Right? The problem is, 
Many times we have let what's below the surface continue to sabotage our witness and our being salt and light in the world. And people look at us and they say, I don't want any of that because we misrepresent who he is and what he can do within our lives. So we're just out to address that, right? And how much fun is this going to be? We get to, we get to see change come about. We get to understand what it means to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength, with all your soul. Just love God with your whole capacity to love your neighbor and to love yourself. In other words, this entire study grounded in the scriptures, all of this together is meant to help us learn how to love well. To love God well. To love ourselves well. To love ourselves rightly. And to love others. To love our neighbor as we love ourselves. So, you ready to go deep? That's what we're going to do. I'm going to give you some reasons for that, right? Why this is so important. But the invitation I want you to understand, and and our goal, we have a greater goal than self-help. We have a greater goal than just merely personal improvement, right? You can approach this and say, okay, there's another self-help book, right? Going to read it. How many have I read, right? You can approach it that way. That would be fully inadequate. It's not about self-help. And I'm going to direct you through the text that we're going to read today and then through just some other teaching that we'll do this morning in order to help you understand what is that greater purpose for which we're doing this. I hope you get the help. I hope I get help. I hope there's improvement, right? I hope we haven't just simply gone through this, you know, completed the book in 10 weeks and said, okay, what's next, right? Without any reformation without any change or transformation within us. And so to help us understand this, uh, this greater purpose for doing this, this greater goal, Ephesians chapter 4 in the New Testament, I'm just going to read this to you and uh, follow along with me uh, in, your, in your own Bibles, if you please. So Ephesians chapter 4, beginning with verse 11. It says, So Christ himself gave the apostles, prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach the unity of faith, unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, Jesus Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Amen. God's word for, for today. I like what the message translation says. It puts it like this. 
He handed out gifts above and below, filled heaven with his gifts, filled earth with his gifts. He handed out gifts of apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher to train Christ's followers in skilled servant work, working within Christ's body, the church, until we are all moving rhythmically and easily with each other, efficient and graceful in response to God's Son, fully mature adults, fully developed within and without, fully alive like Christ. Whew, that's a great picture, right? And it ain't happening yet. <laughs> but that is a great picture. It's like a picture of, of, of the goal. It's like, it's like what we're headed toward. It's what Christ intends for us. Now, you may, you may have decided not to participate in this with us, or you may have decided to do it. And I'm going to just go for some reasons that you may have not or you may have decided not, not, not to engage, not to jump into this, right? Um, and there, we got our reasons, right? One reason is that you don't have time. I just don't have time. And I, I think I understand that. I think, like, you're busy people. I mean, who can add one more thing to their schedule? Please, don't put anything else on my plate. And so there, there's a problem. We have, we have a problem. In America, especially, we have a problem with time, with the structure of our time, with the priorities of our time. We just like, you know, Dallas Willard said uh, that the greatest enemy to your spiritual life is hurry. It's like you're hurried, we're hassled, we're jam full, we have no margins, we can hardly create time to breathe, and that creates some real, real problems for us, okay? It does. In our relationship with God, in our relationship with other people, okay? Uh, maybe you're not engaged in this because you're afraid to look into what you have avoided. Anybody like that? Anybody know how to avoid? Anybody good? Am I the only one? You? Definitely not. We're the only ones good at avoiding. There you go, James, back there. Yeah, we know how to avoid, Right? A lot of times we, we avoid, we're so practiced at avoiding things that it gets scary to look into the areas that we've avoided, right? Because it's just, it's hard. We just, we just want to say, that's not how I roll, right? I, I don't go deep. I mean, this, is, this requires kind of a deep dive into your life, becoming more self-aware so that you can be aware of where God wants to work within your life, where his love wants to touch you, where his grace wants to wants to bring healing into your life. But, but you know what? We, we just, a lot of times, that's not how I roll. We say, I, I'm not emotional. I don't like all that emotional stuff. Right? Well, the problem is, is that you're emotional. Yeah. All of us are, even if we are not giving, given to kind of an emotionalism. We're still emotional beings. Right? Sometimes we're, we don't want to give up control. Anybody like that? I don't, I don't want to give up any control. Um, man, we really try to control things, keep things under wraps, just manage our lives, okay, to get through. Either you're being careful not to rock your own boat or you're tippy, walking on tiptoes not to rock somebody else's boat. But we're trying to really control things. And we work really hard at controlling outcomes, particularly in other people. How many have some people you really want to control right now? Raise your hand. I'll raise both of my hands, right? Because I want to control you. I want, I want 
to make it. I mean, I want to make your decisions for you, right? Because everybody knows. I know what's best. <laughs> That's what we think, right? Here's the truth, man. We, we cannot control each other. But we spend a lot of our time trying to. How, how many of you just are discouraged and despondent? There are a lot of people, I don't want to do this because I'm already so discouraged. I'm so despondent. I mean, I, I know things are wrong. Or maybe you would say, I can't bear to hear that there is something wrong with me because I already know there's something wrong with me because everybody around me points it out, but nobody points to a way, a pathway of liberation. So you just go, dude, that's, that's it. So I, I don't want to get into this because I, you know, I don't need one more thing saying, you know, I have people around me all the time, you're saying, who tell me how wrong I am. Okay. But is it possible to look at that in light of God's grace to admit to it and then let God begin to lead you out? Because God never points up something that's wrong in our lives without a desire and the power to make it right. That is so good about him, right? So good about him. Or maybe you're happy with your life as it is, right? I'm not in a crisis. Why mess with success? I don't need this. Boy, I sure know a lot of people who do, but I don't need this, right? So I'm, I'm, life is going fine. You know, Russell Wilson uh, recently, this last week, Trevor Moabad, his uh, friend and mental conditioning coach, passed away at what, the age of 47 or something like that of cancer. And I listened to Russ give a, an interview about what all that meant and about that relationship. It was, uh, it was really a great interview. But one of, his, one of the, the statements he made about, about Trevor, this mental health conditioning coach, that he, would, that he would say, he says, you don't have to be sick to get better. Now, that's a good word. You don't, you don't have to be sick to get better. See, that's the problem. A lot of times we wait till we're sick to cry out for help. We, you know, we wait until, you know, finally all the wheels come off the wagon before we ask for help. And when that happens, well, that, you know, it's too bad that we waited till then. So, you don't have to be in a crisis to get better. You don't have to be sick to get better. We all can grow, right? And besides, it's never just about you. It's about the whole body of Christ. It's about, it's about the community of faith, about us growing up together as, as we shall see into Christ. So let me just give you some compelling reasons to take the deep dive into this before we get into the scriptures, which are really the ultimate ones. So in, the, in, this, in this book, one of the stories is Frank. Frank's uh, at his early life, you know, from early on, he was addicted to porn, and he had an abusive father, etc. And then it just, he writes this, Frank's life resembled a jack-in-the-box. Now, I'm not talking about the restaurant, right? But you guys know a jack-in-the-box? Like you push it down, then you turn the little thing, and then like this clown pops up, right? And you never know quite when it's going to do it. All right. So his life, Frank's life, resembled a jack-in-the-box. While he was regularly, while he, while he regularly stuffed down his feelings of being invisible as a child, or feelings of being dominated by his parents as a young child, they often popped up, out, popped out in the present. 
He felt like he was betraying his parents, talking openly about their secrets. But the pain had finally grown so great, he had little choice. Because this is not part of discipleship or spiritual formation programs in most churches, often a crisis, it takes a crisis to move someone like Frank or myself, the author writes, to go in this direction. And then I love his statement. I have not met anyone who wants to carry the weight of the past on their, pass the, carry the weight and pass on their unfinished sins and baggage to their children and to their children's children. I've not met anybody who wants to pass this on to the next generation. We do, but I've not met anybody who wants to, right? It is against this backdrop that the glory and power of the Lord Jesus offer such incredible hope. So maybe that's the reason. Stuff just keeps popping up and you go, man, what is under the surface that keeps sabotaging my relationships? Next, we might be like John. Another example given. John uses God to validate his strong opinions on issues ranging from the appropriate length of women's skirts in church to the political candidates to gender roles and his inability and to his inability to negotiate issues with fellow non-Christian managers at work. He does not listen to or check out the innumerable assumptions he makes about others. He quickly jumps to conclusions. His friends, family, and co-workers find him unsafe and condescending. John then goes on to convince himself he is doing God's work by misapplying selected verses of Scripture. He'll say, of course, that person hates me. All who, of those who desire to be godly will suffer persecution, the Bible says. But ultimately, and here's the point, he is using God to run away from God. And that's happened really a lot these days, right? Using God. I'll quote Bible, I'll quote this, I'll make that judgment, stuff like that. But then I run away from God because God is trying to address issues in my own life and I'm, willing to, I'm, I'm not willing to look at them. So what, what would be your drive? What would be the thing that would drive you to say, I need to go below the surface? i got to figure this out. If Christianity is not the primary pretend religion, and instead is to be a life transformation in relationship with Jesus Christ, then I need something different, right? I need to go deep. Letting the gospel touch us where we are fractured, right? You know, I, I, I read recently, it's kind of a sports analogy, but it's, it's this. The clock determines the play, right? And if you understand that, like if you're in a game of basketball or football in particular, but if you're, if you're in those games and, 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 and soccer as well, but if you're, you're playing in those games and you play a different way perhaps at the beginning than you do in the last two minutes. And in the last two minutes, there's something about it. The clock determines the play. Well, I, I, think, I think we're at a place now in our culture as the church, the followers of Jesus, we're at a place now where the clock determines the play. We cannot simply go on playing as though we have, like, you know, everything is as it always should be. It's, it's not. It's not as it should be. And so we're in this crisis moment as the followers of Jesus, in this nation, 
and in this world to figure out how we're going to rightly represent the magnificent, glorious, brilliant, loving, faithful Lord Jesus Christ to our world. And all of this is meant to help us really step into that. So for this reason, right, we're, we're looking at this, and the importance of emotionally healthy spirituality. We, we, we're looking into this, we're looking at this because of what the Scripture has to say to us about us. And remember, it said this. So Christ gave himself, uh, Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers to equip the people, right, to equip God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we'll no longer be like infants tossed here and there by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching. But we'll be speaking the truth in love to one another. We'll grow up into Christ. As each part does its work, we'll build each other up in love. All right? So let's look at this. One of the big reasons we're moving into this and made that choice is because it says this. God has given pastors and teachers to equip God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. Let's just take that first part. God has given us pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service. I just want to pause there for a minute. Uh, the, word, the, the word for his people is it's, it's a pretty important thing. You kind of lose a little of the translation in the way it, it says it because the way it says it doesn't connect so much like with our culture. But it, it really says this. So that, that God gave pastors and teachers to equip the saints. The saints. I know you don't think of you as a saint, right? But to equip God's people. But the word for God's people is to equip the holy ones, the holy ones. Oh, dude, I don't feel holy. I don't, like, I'm not, my, my actions are not perfect. My love is not perfect. What do you mean, holy ones? Did you know that ever since you were adopted into the family of God, right? None of us naturally born, right? We had to be adopted. We were outside. We were adopted in. It was an act of mercy and an act of grace. It was an act of forgiveness over our lives. It's God taking our broken lives and as we are drawing us into a relationship with him and he says now, listen to me carefully, he says now, because I have made the decision that you are in relationship with me because I love you and I want you as you are, I want to let you know that you are no longer unholy, you are holy. But you're not holy on the basis of your own virtues. You're holy by virtue of your relationship with me. This relationship with me makes all the difference in the world for you. Amen? Do, do, you, do you, I mean, we, we never think of our lives in that high of a way, right? Did you, did you know when, it, when, when we got all kinds of sin, all kinds of brokenness, we got all kinds of lovelessness, all kinds of dysfunction in the church of Jesus Christ, just like out there in the world. We got all of that. But you know that when Paul writes his letter to the Ephesians, he, he, says, he says to the people of God, but really he addresses to the saints of God in Ephesus. 
to the saints of God, to the holy ones of God. Interestingly, although we are, have all kinds of sins we need to confess and all kinds of things we need cleansing from and healing and all of that, he still doesn't address, he doesn't address it to the sinners of Ephesus. He addresses it to the saints of Ephesus. I just like blows me away. What vision God must have for our lives to see us as we can be, not merely see us as we are. But he takes us as we are, works in us as we are, so that we can become what he has designed for us to be, filled with his love. Amen? So to equip the saints or to equip his people for works of service. But really it's this, to equip his people. Well, a lot of time we, we put the focus on to equip his people for the works of service. So give me, tell me what to do. Tell me what to do. Give me something to do. First, before we take a look at what must I be, what must I become to equip his people? One of the things that this addresses is the equipment of the person. That it's not about becoming, as he'll say in this book, we're not so much to be human doings, we're to be human beings. It's about who we are, about being in relationship with God and with one another. Not so much about just always doing to try to prove ourselves, you know, to, to measure up, you know, to earn enough points and all that stuff. We have been accepted by grace and we are made whole by God's work of going beneath the surface and addressing those areas in our lives that he wants to transform so that we can become whole. Amen? This is what you're being invited to so that we, so that we all reach unity of the faith and of the Son of God, of the knowledge of the Son of God. So these two, we all, we all reach so I'm glad what's going to happen to me individually in this and you individually, but here's the goal, that we all reach the unity of the faith of the Son of God. So let me just unpack that a minute. So we all want to come to having the same faith that Jesus had. Now that twists it a little bit for us because a lot of times we think, oh, I got this is all about growing in my faith in Jesus. No. It's all about growing so that you have the faith of Jesus. See, the focus is not my faith. The focus is his faith. How did Jesus live? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Read it. How did Jesus live in relationship to the Father? There's the faith of Jesus. How did Jesus go through disappointment and suffering, betrayal? What did you, how did Jesus forgive? How did Jesus stay the course when everything was falling apart around him? How did Jesus live with joy? How did Jesus treat his relationship with the Father in prayer? What do you see Jesus doing? How does he demonstrate his faithfulness, growing in the faith of Jesus? That's what we want to reach. That's the unity we want to reach. You don't want to reach the unity around my faith in Jesus. My faith in Jesus is incomplete. You want to reach, we want to reach unity around the faith of Jesus and we want to reach unity of the, of the knowledge of the Son of God. In other words, knowledge doesn't have to do with here. It has to do with experience. It's not just about like, I want to reach this knowledge of the Son of God so I have all this information packed in my head and I can out-argue you and I can out-Bible you and all that stuff. That's not it. The knowledge of the Son of God is to have intimate experiences with the Son of God, Jesus Christ. I want to know Him. 
Just like, I mean, we've used this illustration before. It's not enough in marriage for me to know about my wife. I need to know Lynette. I need to know her. And it's not about her. I know the relationship with you. It's not just simply knowing about you. It just needs to go further. We need to know one another. Same it is with God. It's not just about God, but I need to know him. How he in particular relates to me, walks with me, relates to us, walks with us in community with one another to experience Jesus in our midst. To know him Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Saturday, at the best, at our best, at our worst, to know him. Right? We're called into this till we all reach unity and ultimately into the fullness of Jesus Christ. In other words, we want to just become a mature person individually, but mature as a whole, like a corporate body. We are the body of Christ. That is so weird, isn't it? Like Christ is the head, and we collectively, in our relationship with him and with each other, we become the body of Christ, the visible representation of Jesus in our world. We become his hands, his feet, his mouth, right? We, we become his presence in the world. Pretty cool. And we're to reach this maturity in this together. So, this is why this deep dive, right? It's not just so for self improvement. In fact, let me say it this way ultimately, it's for this reason. And this is like the, this is the biggie, right? This is the big reason. It is for the praise of his glory. Okay? is for the praise of the glory of Jesus. Till we all reach unity in the Son of God. Till we're filled with the fullness of Jesus. In chapter 1, three times he says that we are to live for the praise of his glory, for the praise of his glorious grace. We're to live for the praise of his glory. So let me just ask you, glory, that's kind of a weird word, right? Kind of a ethereal, kind of out there, floating around somewhere word. Uh, for the praise of his glory. So the word glory, in the Older Testament, former Testament, it is a word that means like weight. So the glory of God is something that is like, like weighty enough to make a profound, lasting impression. Right? So it's, here's the idea. You've had people before, right, that you met and talked with and then... If they were to bring up to you two years later that you met and talked to them, you would go, don't remember. Don't remember, right? And then there are people that you meet and there's just something about that conversation. Ten years later, you're thinking, oh yeah, I remember that, right? Okay, because it carried, it carried weight of some sort, right? The glory of God is the weight of God. Not oppressiveness of God, but the impression of God. The impressiveness of God. God landing on us in such a way, we just go, whoa. <laughs> and then years later, we're still like blown away by how impressive he is. Right? How impressive he is. The problem is that a lot of times we've been impressed by a lot of peripheral stuff 
but often not with him. So the call is that we are to live for the praise of his glory. In other words, we live a life that is a praising life directed toward and in the memory of and in the present experience of his impressive beauty within our own lives. In other words, his transformative presence is so real, it's palpable. You, get, you actually know that this God changes you, right, by his activity through Jesus Christ. So we live for the praise of his glory. Or I could put it another way, which I, I would love to say, that we, that we make love of Jesus that because of what Jesus did. We make much of him, and we live for the fame of Jesus Christ to the praise of his glory. We live for the fame of the Lord Jesus Christ, not for the defaming of the name of Jesus. We live for the fame. We desire that everybody know this impressive, powerful lover, unfailing love, relentless in his pursuit of us, who is able to look past all of our brokenness, all of our filth, all of our struggle, looks past that right into us, and he says, I love you, you're worth it, I'm going to do something with your life. I care about you, and I'm not walking away. Amen? Amen? So this is it, man. For the fame of the Lord Jesus Christ. So it's not just self-help. The goal of this is not to produce a bunch of healthy, emotionally healthy people that are learning how to live independent of Jesus and the body of Christ. In fact, when you read the scriptures and what we have in Christ, the wholeness and health comes only in relationship with him and with one another. As imperfect as we are. Amen. Amen. Right? On page 8, I like what Pete says here to underscore this. He said, most importantly, I encourage you to savor and cherish the Lord Jesus Christ as you meet him in these pages. The goal is to grow in your experience of Jesus, not merely add, add to your head knowledge about him. And I would add, the goal is to experience Jesus, not simply to become more functional, independent of him. It's to know him. I invite you to receive what you read here as a painting that directs you to a richer, more authentic encounter with the living God in Christ. The real fruit of this book will be measured by the positive changes you begin to experience in your relationships with Jesus, with others, and with yourself. Jesus is the most fully human person that ever lived. And when we grow up into Christ, we become more fully human. By the way, nothing of this will happen without prayer. Nothing will happen without prayer. In fact, the whole book of Ephesians, this little ladder that we read, just like four chapters, five or six pages, but it's saturated in prayer. He prays that we would be given the spirit of wisdom and, 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 and knowledge so that we would, and understanding so that we would know him better. He prays this. 
He prays that we would know the power that is at work in all of us who believe in Christ. And it's the same power that he exerted when he raised Jesus from the dead. He prays that we will know this. He prays for it. Prayer. Nothing's going to happen without Jesus. He prays for this. He prays that, that we would be strengthened in our inner man, our inner person, as Christ dwells in us by his spirit in faith, and that we would increase in the knowledge of God, and we increase in the love of God, and we may know the height and the depth and the length and the breadth of that love, and that we'd be filled up with the fullness of God. He prays that. He prays that for us. Nothing's going to happen apart from prayer. So, as a result, we've been talking about this whole matter of contemplative spirituality. So at the end of the book, the last couple of chapters, it's going, to, it's going to really talk about taking time with God. Slow down. Slowing down, giving God time to talk into your life about what's going on. Right? Slowing down. Learning how to create margins within your life so that you can pay attention to your your growth in your relationship with Jesus and how you're loving God, how you're loving others, how you're loving yourself, paying attention to that, right? We've decided as a church staff, and I'm so excited about this, that in order to kind of demonstrate that in a visible way, that beginning next Monday, not, not this coming Monday, but Monday week on the 27th, this space right in here from 10... From 10 in the morning until 2 in the afternoon, except for Thursdays, it'll be 12 to 2. This space will be a space of prayer. A holy space set aside for you. It's going to be reconfigured since we don't have the pews, but we have the chairs. It's going to be reconfigured into a, spare, a prayer space Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. Okay. So that you can come during one of those times. Even if you're not able to get here, you'll, you'll know and learn that through all of this, we're learning how to give even a few minutes of attention to God in every day. Morning, noon, and night. Finding some rhythm and paying attention to God. Like maybe meet at noon with God or during your lunch break, just taking five minutes out and saying, Oh God, I think I forgot you all morning long and I think I messed up some stuff. Would you now recenter my life? Enter into everything I have coming this afternoon, right? You're just learning how to create margin, rhythms, space in your life for that holy work of letting God help you dive deep into what is real in your life. Some of the easiest part of your life is going to be right here. The real tough part of our life a lot of times is what happens between Sundays, as you know. So we create space. So there's going to be this space created. If you get to come one or two of those days or more, spend five minutes, ten minutes, an hour, two hours, whatever, paying attention. This space, this prayer, dedicated space is going to be here for you. All right, I got these challenges to you. Are you ready? Here it is. Ready for a revolution? This is it. Commit. I know you got your reasons not to do it. I know, I know. Either this is new or, you know, you have more questions, ask them. Ask me. Ask questions. Ask Terry. There she is. Raise your hand, Terry. Right back there. Terry can answer questions. In fact, she'll be back there. Would you do that? She'll answer some questions right out these middle doors. You'll see her. But commit. 
say, yes, I will take the deep dive. And there's reason enough to do it. The best reason of all is that Jesus is worthy of it. He died for your life so you can become whole. Let's give him the time of day. All right? Second thing, choose to do this in community with other people. Take a book, order a book, start in, do it with other people. Do it in a group life community that we help you get into and organize for you. You know, do that. If you can't do that or your schedule doesn't allow or something, find one or two, three other people. Say, let's do this. Let's take the deep dive, man. Because this is not a solo endeavor. We desperately need each other. And lastly, just, just this one, just... Yeah, there's so much here, right? I, I, you know, I was talking with Tim, right, before the service. I'm going, oh my goodness, there's like so much here. How are you going to do all this? You're not. You're not. You're going to pay attention. Here's a good way to go. What one thing every week is God talking to me about? Just one thing. Are there 50 good things? Yeah, what's the one thing? You know how dominoes, you set up the dominoes like this, then you hit one and all the rest of them go down? I have this theory that if we act in obedience to one thing that God is talking to us about, it creates the possibility for more exponential growth in other areas. Okay? So just say yes to that one thing and let God take you on the deep dive with his mercy, his grace, his compassion toward you. He is not your primary accuser. Satan is that. Jesus, by the Holy Spirit, is your primary advocate. So take the deep dive. Amen. Amen. Why not? No good reason. Why? The best reason. The Son of God, Jesus Christ, is worthy to receive the reward of his sufferings for us. Amen. Yeah. Let's pray. Jesus, you're beautiful. You're amazing. I want to know you better. We want to know you better. We want to love you better. We don't want to forget you so much. We do. We forget you. We're sorry. Thank you for sticking with us. Thank you for caring about us. Thank you for not withdrawing your sacrifice for us. Thank you. You laid it all on the line for us, and you're not going to take it back. So help us to step into these areas that you have come to heal, to redeem. Thank you, God. In Jesus' name. Amen.